Our scripture reading, our focus for today is found in the book of Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and following. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what the new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning. It's good to be together again. God bless us in the time that we spend together here around God's Word and just in the fellowship of one another. May this be a blessing to us all. There's no denying that the impact of Jesus' resurrection, that His resurrection has impacted countless lives. Amen? In fact, our presence here today is evidence of that, as well as when you take into account not only our presence in worship here, but also brothers and sisters just down the hallway, but then people around the world gathering in Christian congregations, all of us testified to the impact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has had on our lives. And what is more, each and every life that has been impacted down through the centuries is further evidence of God's wondrous mercy and grace at work in each and every one of our lives. But perhaps of all of the lives that have been impacted by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, none stands out as significantly as does the life of a man that we know as the Apostle Paul. Paul is first introduced to us in the pages of Holy Scripture in the book of Acts at the stoning of Stephen. 
It's quite possible that Saul was one of those who was arguing with Stephen as he began to share the good news about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what we do know when it came time, when, when those gathered determined that Stephen was deserving of being stoned to death, it was at the feet of Saul that everyone laid their cloaks when it came time to stone Stephen. And what we see unfold in the pages of the book of Acts from that point in time on is how the message, the, the uh, narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ flew in the face of everything that Saul believed to be true about God. And it, suffice it to say, it distressed Paul. It unsettled him in a most significant way. Now, we have some background information from Scripture concerning Saul. We, we know that he was of the people of Israel. He was a Jew. He was of the prestigious tribe of Benjamin, circumcised according to the law on the eighth day. He was brought up in Jerusalem, the holy city. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, thoroughly trained in the law under one of the most renowned teachers of his day, a man by the name of Gamaliel. And in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. And as for legalistic righteousness, Saul was faultless. In other words, Saul was raised and schooled with the mindset that not everyone was deserving of having a relationship with Almighty God. Only those who had lived in strict adherence to the laws of the church were entitled to stand in the presence of Almighty God. And so, when all of a sudden these followers of Jesus began to, to rise up and started sharing this message that a relationship with Almighty God was possible for anyone, in fact, everyone, who simply believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, well, this didn't just uh, distress Saul. This unsettled him uh, in ways that sent him, made him a man on a mission. And Saul's mission became a life-destroying mission. Understand Saul's goal was simple. Just as Haman in the Old Testament book of Esther looked for a way to destroy all the Jews, just as Caiaphas, the high priest of God's people, sought to bring an end to this Jesus problem when he said it is better that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So also Saul looked for a way to destroy all those who belonged to the way. In other words, to get rid of all of those who believed in Jesus as their Savior. And under the sanction not only of the Jewish religious leaders, but also the Roman authorities... Saul was given permission to persecute the followers of the way. In fact, to bring them to their death. Understand, countless Christians who were impacted by the resurrection of Jesus, countless Christians lost their lives, were put to death because of Saul's efforts. So suffice it to say, Saul was not a nice guy. In fact, he struck fear and terror in the hearts and minds of the Christians of that day. He was earnest about hunting them down. 
even if it meant his having to go way out of his way in order to find them, Saul was bound and determined to get rid of every single Christian he could. He became a misguided, relentless, religious zealot, a Christian's worst nightmare, and he was good at what he did. Now, what's ironic about all of this is that in order for Saul to become a Hebrew of Hebrew, to become a Pharisee, as a, in accordance to righteousness, to be faultless, Saul was a devout student of God's word. Yet Saul somehow missed the fact that God's mission is a life-saving mission. Through the well-renowned prophet Isaiah, God had declared, I, the Lord, will make you, my people, to be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That is what Saul should have been about in his life. But with the eyes of his heart closed to the truth of God's word, Saul pursued a path that was dark and getting even darker. But here's where we need to back up just for a moment and remind ourselves. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is this, that God's mission is what kind of a mission? A life-saving mission. And no one, my friends, no one, not even someone as bad as Saul, was outside of God's purpose. Later on, speaking from his own firsthand experience, Saul would later go on to write to a man named Timothy. He would write, God, our Savior, wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And thus it happened. While Saul was en route to Damascus on one of his life-destroying missions, it was then that God embarked on his mission to save Saul. And we read earlier in Acts how suddenly a light from heaven flashed around Saul. He fell to the ground and, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I don't know about you, but put yourself in Saul's sandals. And given everything that you had not only been thinking about these Christians everything that you had been saying about these Christians, and of course, everything that you have been doing against these Christians, and now all of a sudden to be having a conversation with their leader? I pretty well imagine one of the first thoughts that ran through Saul's mind was, I am about to die. And so he easily could have been given everything that he had been thinking, saying, and doing. As the writer of Hebrews states, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But again, let's back up and remind ourselves of this wonderful truth. What kind of mission is God's mission? Life-saving. And no one is excluded from that mission, not even Saul. And in order for Saul to truly begin to appreciate what God was trying to accomplish right there on that road in his life, God kind of gave Saul what you might call his own little timeout for a period of three days. Think about it, three days. God took away his eyesight. God put him in a state of total darkness. 
And it was in that three-day timeout that all of a sudden the, the eyes of Saul's heart began to open and he began to see with the eyes of faith. God then arranged for another disciple by the name of Ananias to go to Saul and minister to him. And we read on how placing his hands on Saul, Ananias said, and I love the way he leads in, Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. What an awesome story that is. But you know, it could end right there and it would still be a great story. But there's a much bigger picture that God has in mind here. Because God's life-saving mission isn't just about Saul. In fact, God has a much bigger picture in mind, a picture that includes many more. I mean, when Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, he was not thinking merely of Saul's salvation. Yeah, you've got it. He was also thinking about your salvation and my salvation. As Jesus had said to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Now with his eyes open, the eyes of his heart open and fixed to the resurrected Jesus, Paul soon thereafter stopped going by his Hebrew name, by his Jewish name, Saul, and began going by his Gentile name, his Roman name, Paul. And as Paul, he was still a man on a mission, but now his mission was much different. His mission was a life-proclaiming mission, a mission that proclaimed the life-saving message of forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul's new passion was that the eyes of others would be open to the resurrected Jesus just as his had been opened. And one of those moments came when Saul was traveling in Athens, Greece. That was part of our scripture lesson earlier today. It was during his second of four missionary journeys. And it tells us that that text opens right up. Paul was distressed. But this time, Paul was not distressed that there were Christians in Athens. Paul was distressed that there weren't any Christians in, in Athens. As he's walking around, he, he's noting all of the altars, all of the statues, all of the temples, all of the idols to all of the different gods that were worshipped there in Athens. In fact, one of the poets of the day had written, it's easier to find a god in Athens than it is a man. There were that many statues, that th there were that many temples. In fact, if you travel there today, we're most familiar with the Parthenon there on the Acropolis uh, overlooking Athens, Greece. And even to this day, you can look around the landscape and there continue to be archaeological remnants of all the idols, all the temples that were worshipped there. And no wonder Paul was distressed in what he saw. 
And so right away, Paul looked for an opportunity to to have dialogue, to talk with others about Jesus. And he started with some of the local Jews, and soon they wanted him to have a conversation with some of the other leaders there in Athens. And so they take him to the Areopagus, which is a rock outcropping just down from the Parthenon, where a lot of public gatherings would take place. You can still visit it uh, to this day. And you can imagine Paul... As he's being led. Now, I know the song hadn't been written yet, but knowing he's going to have the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus and what he himself had been through, I kind of imagine Paul, if the song had been written, he would have been quietly singing to himself as he walked up to the Areopagus, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And as he begins to talk to the people who are gathered there about the risen Jesus, I mean, you just see the genius of Paul. He, he leads in by saying, you know, as I was walking around and, and saw all the statues and all the temples to all the gods that you worship, uh, he, he, he says, you know, I can see that you, you folks, you're, you're a pretty religious group. It would kind of like be standing in the midst of a bunch of Colts fans and saying, you, you guys look like a bunch of Colts fans. I mean, it was rather obvious. And then Paul says, I happened to see this altar inscribed with to the unknown God. You know, the Athen- Ath- Athenians wanted to make sure they covered all their bases. So even in case they had forgotten one, they had an altar to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you about this unknown God. In other words, Let me open your eyes to what I know to be true about the one true God. And that's just one, my friends, just one of the many opportunities that the Apostle Paul took as a result of his life having been impacted by the resurrection. The opportunities he took to impact the lives of others, lives that then shared that same message with others whose lives were impacted down through the centuries, even to you and to me. I mean, I want you to think of the possibility. It's quite possible that you and I today are impacted by the resurrection because in our chain of individuals who also have been impacted going back, who have impacted our lives, somebody may have been present that day at the Areopagus when Paul shared about the resurrection of Jesus Christ to them. And there's, this gives us three things. There's three things that I want us to take to heart and take with us today when we reflect upon the impact of the resurrection on Paul's life. The first, the first truth is this. No one, and I mean no one, is outside the realm of God's mercy and God's grace. I mean, it does not matter what skeleton you may have hanging in your closet. You are not outside of the realm of God's mercy and grace. The Apostle Paul, speaking from his own firsthand experience, went on to write this. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. No one is outside of God's mercy and God's grace. Secondly, our salvation, our relationship with God is secure, not because of what we have to do, 
but because of what God has already done for us through Jesus' death and resurrection and by simply believing in him. Again, the Apostle Paul, speaking from firsthand experience, goes on to write, God saved us, not because of our righteousness or righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the hope of eternal life. My friends, our salvation is secure because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And thirdly, and most interestingly, perhaps, now that our lives have been impacted just like Paul's, God has in mind to use each and every one of us to impact the lives of others for the sake of Jesus. Once more, the Apostle Paul tells us, and Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. My dear friends, there is no denying countless lives have been, been, have been impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, including yours and mine. No matter who we are, no matter what we have done, no matter how insignificant you may feel, in God's eyes, we are precious. So precious that Almighty God wants us by his side in eternity. So precious that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. So precious that God now wants to use you and me to be part of his life-saving plan in proclaiming the message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ to others. And so my prayer today for each and every one of us is, is this that each of us, that the eyes of our hearts would be open to the resurrected Christ. And that as a result of our eyes being open to him, that our lives would be impacted by him. And that as a result, we would continue to live out our lives in such a way that the lives of others would also be impacted, that they too would have the opportunity to know the one true God who lived, who died, who rose again, to give us everlasting life. God grant that to each of us for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen. Amen.